Hi, everyone. I'm Chris Katolka, host of the Friends of Israel Today, and it's hard to believe, but 2017 is already coming to a close. And as you're considering your year-end gift, would you remember the radio ministry of the Friends of Israel? Your donation keeps the Friends of Israel Today on the air and allows us to continue teaching biblical truth about Israel and the Messiah as we stand alongside our Jewish friends. Visit foiradio.org, and there you'll find the donate link, or you can mail your gift to P.O. Box 914, Belmar, New Jersey, 08099. Also, let us know where you're listening when you contact us, and thank you. Thank you for your prayers and continual support of our radio ministry. Welcome to the Friends of Israel Today. I'm Steve Conover. Today, we're continuing our series, Eden to Eden, God's Relentless Pursuit of Us. From the scriptures, Chris has been sharing with us how God's unfolding story is all about his desire to bring you and I back to the Garden of Eden. And God's relentless pursuit to bring us back to Eden, it's intrinsic to his nature. This is really the grand story of the Bible. Today, we're going to talk about God's pursuit of us through his presence, his desire to be with his people all throughout biblical history. You know, God pierced through time, space, and even sin to dwell with his people so that he could pursue us back to the garden. But first, the news. Last week, President Donald Trump continued the presidential tradition of hosting Hanukkah at the White House. This tradition was started under President George W. Bush and continued through the Obama administration. Well, here's my take. Seeing the Hanukkah menorah lit up in Washington, D.C., or maybe even your town square, can be a reminder for us Christians this Christmas season that when Jesus celebrated Hanukkah 2,000 years ago, he boldly proclaimed to his people that he was the Good Shepherd and Messiah of Israel. Praise God that as the lights of the menorah are lit, we can rejoice that the light of the world has come. We're continuing our series, Eden to Eden, where we're looking at the grand story of the Bible. Now, if you're just tuning into the series, I want to encourage you to go to foiradio.org to listen to the last three episodes. Uh, and there you, you can hear w- what the purpose of, our first episode was talking about what the purpose of the Garden of Eden was. We, we studied the purpose of it and, and even our sinful state that comes out of the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned. And then last week, we saw how God pursues us by entering into a special covenant with Abraham. Today, we're turning our attention to how God is pursuing us back to Eden through his presence here on earth. You know, I think Christians have a general misunderstanding of heaven and the future, primarily because of the way heaven is portrayed in literature, television shows, and even in movies. See, heaven is where believers in God, through faith in Christ, can be in the presence of God forever. But if you poll Christians from all denominations, I believe, their understanding of heaven is everyone sitting on a personal cloud with a halo around their head, holding a harp in their place of tranquility. But let me tell you something, that's not heaven. 
when you read the Bible, heaven isn't us going up to the sky. Heaven is God coming down. Everything is coming down in the Bible. His divine presence is coming down to us. Now, now don't get me wrong. Until the day Jesus returns, we all go up to God. That is right. Paul did say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, that he would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. That's true. When we die right now, our spirit goes to be with the Lord in heaven. But the prophetic hope we have is not in going up to heaven, but think about this. It's heaven coming to earth. Remember the Lord's Prayer? Do you remember saying this? I, I grew up in Catholic school before I became a believer, and we used to say it all the time. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is saying, Father, bring your kingdom here to earth. Bring heaven down to earth. Think about this. What was the Garden of Eden? It was heaven on earth. In fact, I love this. If you actually Google the modern Hebrew word for heaven today, if you say someone's going to heaven in Hebrew, the actual words that you're saying in Hebrew are gan ha'idan, which translated is literally the Garden of Eden. God wants his presence on earth. And and we see him over and over again throughout the Bible, finding ways to be with us here. Again, another sign of his pursuit to be with us and his pursuit to bring us back to Eden, to bring us back to the garden where we can fellowship with God without anything in the way, no sin, no shame, no guilt. At the end of the book of Exodus, in Exodus chapter 40, Moses and the Israelites had just finished building the tabernacle. And God told Moses to build a tabernacle for this purpose. Listen in Exodus chapter 25, verse 8. He says this, Let them, the Israelites, make for me a sanctuary, that's the tabernacle, so that I may live among them. Look, that tabernacle wasn't just a place for sacrifice, which I think most people think of when they think of the tabernacle and temple, a place where sacrifices took place. It was more than that. It was the place God dwelled. God physically wanted to be with his people, Israel. And at the end of Exodus chapter 40, God did. Listen to Exodus chapter 40, verses 34 through 35. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. This is just as they were finishing up building the tabernacle. And so the cloud covered the tent of meeting, which is another way of saying the tabernacle. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The glory of the Lord, my friends, is the physical presence of God with his people. And and I love that it's so tangible and so powerful that even Moses couldn't stand to be within the tabernacle precinct because God's presence was there. You know, as one commentator put it, this is such a momentous occasion in Israel's history and in biblical history because it's the first time since the Garden of Eden that God has permanently dwelt with his creation. And now, take a look inside the tabernacle. This is so fascinating. Scholars believe that the tabernacle was designed to picture Eden. 
We can't go through all the symbolism of the tabernacle, but just listen to some of these. Remember, we mentioned this in the first episode of our Eden to Eden series. Adam in the garden and the priests in the tabernacle were given the same jobs to do in the Hebrew, to serve or work. They're the same, same word, serve or work, and to keep and guard. Again, the same word. For Adam, he was to work the garden and keep it. And for the priests, they were to serve in the tabernacle and guard it. Again, the, both the same Hebrew words. Another thing that you can notice is this, is that the tabernacle and temple were erected to face east, and the Garden of Eden was east, according to Genesis chapter 2. The veil, this is so fascinating, the veil that covered the Holy of Holies where God's presence dwelt had cherubim on them, a visual picture of the moment when Adam and Eve were banished from the garden and cherubim were placed at the gate to keep them out. No one but the high priest was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies. Only once a year on Yom Kippur. Everyone else must stay out of the Holy of Holies because that's where God's presence, holy presence was. If anybody walked in there, they could be consumed in a moment. And again, you have this image of these cherubim stopping, preventing the Israelites from coming into the Holy of Holies as the cherubim were set up outside of the gate of Eden to prevent Adam and Eve from coming back into the garden. The menorah in the tabernacle was designed to resemble the tree of life that was in the middle of the garden. There were seven branches of the menorah that represent seven days of creation and the seventh being Sabbath. At the top of each branch was decorative knobs that looked like apples or pomegranates and blossoms that give the idea of a fruit tree. And the menorah gave light from evening to morning. The same imagery is extended to the temple when Solomon inaugurates the temple in Jerusalem in 1 Kings chapter 9. And after the temple is built, God's glory once again comes down to inhabit the Holy of Holies. Folks, Think about this. God pierced through time and space and even sin. He pierced through the sin of this world to inhabit the tabernacle and temple. Again, another act of God pursuing us to want to bring us back to the garden. And watch this. That same language that's mentioned in Exodus chapter 40 and and 1 Kings chapter 9 when God when God literally came to inhabit the tabernacle and the temple is the same language used in John chapter 1 verse 14 at the birth of Jesus the Messiah where it says this in John chapter 1 verse 14 now the word became flesh and took up residence among us and we saw his glory remember reading that the glory glory of the one and only full of grace and truth who came from the father Folks, Jesus is the presence of God on earth. He, he left the glorious presence of the Father and took on human flesh so that we might see and hear from him through his Son. The Israelites knew God through the law, and now God has come in the flesh to show us what his love, compassion, mercy, and sacrifice looks like in the flesh. God's presence came to dwell with us in the form of man. And I want you to think about this. You know, most people, when they think of the tabernacle and temple, like I said, they think of the, the place where sacrifices took place. Well, they're not wrong. 
But the true purpose of the tabernacle and temple was so that God could have his presence with with his people that he made a covenant with. The sacrifices were necessary so that sinful Israelites could have a relationship with with God and, and to draw near to him and to be within his presence as he's physically dwelling with them. Folks, those sacrifices in the tabernacle and temple pointed to the principal sacrifice that would cleanse sin once and for all. read the scriptures, sometimes there can be a disconnect between our modern world and the world of the Bible. It's easy to forget that the authors were virtually all Jewish and that we worship a Jewish Messiah. And remember, Christianity is deeply rooted in Judaism. To the early church, Christianity was not a different religion from Judaism. It was the fulfillment of all that was written in the law and the prophets. The DVD entitled Jewish Roots of Christianity takes you to Jerusalem for eye-opening insights into the link between Judaism and Christianity. You can watch various interviews by Israeli Christians, including the Friends of Israel's very own Pastor Menno Kalisher, the son of Holocaust survivor Zvi Kalisher. To order your copy of the DVD Jewish Roots of Christianity, go to foiradio.org or call our listener line at 888 343 6940. Again, visit foiradio.org to order your copy of Jewish Roots of Christianity or call us at 888-343-6940. Tuesday, December 12th marks the beginning of the eight days of Hanukkah, the celebration of when the Jewish people rededicated the temple after it was defiled by the Greek leader Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus was a brutal tyrant against the Jewish people. As a Greek ruler, he marched right into Jerusalem. He, he stopped all sacrifices. He prevented Jewish people from reading Torah, circumcision. He prevented Jewish people from eating kosher food. And he even set up Greek images as idols in the temple and even slaughtered a pig on the altar. And, and you don't have to be a Jewish scholar to know that's a no-no in Judaism. The, the history of Hanukkah doesn't come from the scriptures. It it actually is an extra-biblical event that happened between the Old Testament and the New Testament, that 400-year history between Malachi and Matthew. Its history is actually recorded in the book of Maccabees. Uh, The Roman historian Josephus wrote about the history of Hanukkah, and the rabbinical Jewish book, the Talmud, shares about that miraculous story of God's providence and provision by providing enough oil to keep the menorah lit uh, for eight days. Less than 200 years after the event, though, we actually see Jesus himself in Jerusalem celebrating Hanukkah in John chapter 10, verse 22, when John says this, then came the feast of of the dedication in Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was walking in the temple area. And let let me just say this, for Jesus to be celebrating Hanukkah really showed his heart and passion for the people of Israel and his hope to see Jerusalem become what God intended it to be. Because deep down, 
Hanukkah is the celebration of the independence of the Jewish people. Israel had been controlled by Gentiles for more than 400 years. And even though they were living in the land, the Gentile empires still had control over them. The Persians controlled them. The Greeks controlled the Jewish people. And Hanukkah is all about the miraculous story of the Maccabees, a small band of Jewish fighters who liberated the land of Israel from the Greeks who occupied it. These brave Jewish men fought against a massive empire and won their independence in 164 BC when they rededicated the temple to the Lord. When the Jewish people defeated the Greeks, it was the first time in several hundred years they were in control with no ruling Gentile empire over them. They didn't have anyone to answer to but themselves. And for nearly 80 years, it remained that way until the Roman Empire took control of Judea, eventually giving rise to a man we know from the story of Jesus' birth, Herod the Great. Jesus lived in an era when Hanukkah for the Jewish people meant more than simply rededicating the temple to the Lord. It was a celebration that looked forward to freedom again. They tasted it. They tasted freedom away from the Gentile world. And they knew what that freedom looked like, and they longed for it again. They longed for the day when God would bring the Messiah who would set the Jewish people free from Gentile rule. And in John chapter 10, Jesus tells the Jewish people that he's the one to do that. Jesus says during Hanukkah that he's the good shepherd. He's the one who would divinely lead the flock to freedom. And Jesus even admitted to the Jewish people in John chapter 10 that he's the Messiah who could actually provide the freedom and liberation that was promised by God in the prophets. One day, Israel will experience the freedom and liberation God promised to them when the Messiah Jesus returns. I know that's true. A glorious day that we are all looking forward to. But this Hanukkah and Christmas season, let's remember that Jesus did bring liberation and freedom from something greater than any occupying empire of the past. Jesus brought freedom from the occupation of sin in our life. He set us free from the sin that once had total control over us. What a great reminder for us this Christmas and Hanukkah season. Even though you might not be Jewish, Hanukkah is a great time to remember the freedom and liberation we have in our Messiah, Jesus, who promises to set Israel free one day and has set us free from sin through his sacrifice. Now, Apples of Gold, a dramatic reading from the life and ministry of Holocaust survivor Svi Kalisher. The Bible says that the people of Israel are God's chosen people, his peculiar treasure. Israelis consider this to be a great honor, but most forget there are conditions for them to receive God's blessings. 
In Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 26 through 28, the Lord said, Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey my commandments, and the curse, if you do not obey my commandments. Many Israelis believe that just because they live in Israel, God will bless them regardless of disobedience. I recently met some who believe this way. I told them, my friends, it is not enough that you live in Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 12 verse 1 states, These are the statutes and judgment which you must observe in the land which the Lord God is giving you to possess all the days that you live on the earth. They responded, We realize you are a Christian, and you want us to receive Jesus as our Savior, as you people always say. We know you are not courageous enough to tell the rabbis what you are telling us. I replied, Everyone must hear the truth about our Savior, and actually many times I have told rabbis what I just told you. One day, when you stand before the Lord to give an account for your life, your rabbis will not stand with you. You will stand before him alone. Neither do the rabbis have the power to forgive your sins. They became interested in what I was sharing, but one of them said, Our fathers lived and died following these traditions. It is hard for us to forsake the old ways. I understand your concerns, I told them. But if you do not change your ways, when you die, you will be lost forever with no opportunity to be saved. They seemed frightened and asked, Do you think we have already gone too far? No, I answered. This is only the beginning. When you start to fear, your eyes will be opened to see biblical truth. You will see the folly of following old traditions and not accepting the responsibility for your eternal souls. One of the men said, we have studied the Talmud all our lives. You cannot teach us anything we do not already know. I then asked the entire group, Which book is more important, the Talmud or the Torah? If you are good Jews, why do you not keep the law as it is written in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 7? You shall have no other gods before me. This is only one of the many commandments that Israelis do not keep. Every person is responsible for himself before the Lord, and Ezekiel 18.20 tells us that the soul who sins shall die. Our fathers and rabbis cannot save us. But if you receive the Lord, you will be blessed rather than cursed. At the end of our conversation, one said, We never realized that those who believe in Jesus followed the Bible so closely. This is the first time we have heard what you really believe. I pray for them, that the Lord will cause them to meditate on what they hear, that they will recognize the truth as it is written in His Word, and that they will open their hearts to Him as their Savior and Messiah. A reminder, as we close, if you have not subscribed to Israel My Glory magazine, you can get a full year at no cost. We'll give you our contact information in just a moment. Also, as mentioned, we're offering the DVD, Jewish Roots of Christianity. We'll get back into our Eden to Eden series in January. The next two weeks, we're featuring a two-part Christmas series called 
Why Bethlehem? Chris, do you have any closing thoughts before we go? Yeah, you know, we're preparing for this series, Why Bethlehem? And it's it's such a perfect picture as we connect these series together because Bethlehem is really an image of God's presence with us through his son, Jesus the Messiah. So what a great reminder this Christmas season that the word became flesh and dwelt with us. Thanks, Chris. To order your DVD or get your free subscription to Israel My Glory magazine, visit us at foiradio.org. That's foiradio.org. Or call us at 888-343-6940. That's 888-343-6940. Our host and teacher is Chris Katolka. Today's program was produced by Tom Gallion, co-written by Sarah Fern, Mike Kellogg read Apples of Gold, and our theme music was composed and performed by Jeremy Strong. I'm Steve Conover, executive producer. The Friends of Israel Today is a production of the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. We are a worldwide Christian ministry communicating biblical truth about Israel and the Messiah while fostering solidarity with the Jewish people.